0: Hey, it's Ronnie Davis, and you're listening to Being More, the place to be if you want to learn how to stop eating in ways that make you feel like crap, if you want to end the weight and food war, and start reimagining healthy eating and living. We'll show you how to change your mind, your food world, and your life with less doing and more being. Healthiest way to eat is to eat whatever you want, whenever you want, even as much as you want. I'd even argue that despite what diets and supposedly healthy eating plans, well, and really the whole health and wellness industry as a whole, despite what they want you to believe, it's the only way to actually eat healthy. And over the next two episodes, I'm going to explain why I say that and exactly what I mean by it. And listen, I get it. Before we even dive into this, you're probably ready to check out because you think I'm nuts. You have no idea the kind of expressions that I get from people when I say this to them. Well, maybe you do, because maybe that's the expression that's likely on your face now, too. It's usually something like shock, awe, disbelief, disgust even, or distrust when I say the words, you need to eat whatever you want. But can't you see how messed up it is that there's so much disbelief and distrust at this concept? Like, why have we allowed losing trust in our own ability to make this most basic of human decisions for ourselves to become a thing, especially with the unreliable state of nutrition science? But I'm gonna get to more on that in a bit. First, just let that sink in. As a society at large, we have been taught by industries that profit off of our fear and distrust We've been taught not to trust ourselves enough to decide what we want to eat. Most of us going through our entire life afraid of the concept, afraid of food. We have tens, probably hundreds of millions of grown adults, brilliant, accomplished, capable, talented, hardworking, skillful people, raising families, running households, even entire companies, none of whom trust themselves to make this most basic of human decisions for themselves. Not only do they not trust themselves, they're terrified to even consider it. And that's what's happened, isn't it? This is what we're supposed to believe is what it takes to eat healthy. From the time we're little, we are taught by other people that these are the good foods, and those are the bad foods. And if we want to be good, smart, healthy, skinny, happy, successful, admired, loved, accepted, you name it, we can only eat the good foods, and we must always work really, really hard to resist the bad foods. As though all we need is somebody who knows more than we do to tell us the right and wrong things to eat. We'll just magically be like, oh, okay, good, I'm so glad you told me that. Now I'll live a perfect life in a skinny body, I'll never get sick, sick and I'll just live happily ever after. If we screw up and don't follow their rules about what's supposedly right or wrong, healthy or unhealthy it's somehow our, supposed to be our fault. If we get sick under this system, it's our fault. If we gain weight under this system, it's our fault. If we struggle under this system, it's our fault. If we suffer under this system, we're told it's our fault. And so we live our life ineffectively trying to force ourselves to follow someone else's ideas of what we should or shouldn't eat. And if you were listening to this right now, I'd be, I'd be willing to bet that you're one of them that at least at some point in your life, you had a book that told you what you could or couldn't eat and you tried to follow it. Think about it. How do you decide whether or not any particular food is healthy? You think about everything you've ever heard or read about nutrition, right? And you consider where the particular food falls within the endless amount of rules you've read about, right? The books, the diets, the articles, the experts, the gurus, the influencers, random people on the internet or at work, school, church, everyone wants you to disconnect from your own body, from your own wants and needs, and keep trying to force yourself to eat what and how they say you should, because you're supposed to believe they know better. As a result, nobody seems to be free of fear when it comes to certain foods. Food in general has become viewed as a threat by our culture, lest we overeat and get fat. So, collectively as a society, we simultaneously use it to celebrate, soothe, comfort, feel, or express love while living in fear of food. The fear is that if we don't eat right, We'll end up sick, diseased, and die early or worse, be judged, belittled, rejected, or unworthy of love and belonging if we get fat. And fear is one hella powerful motivator. So we are vulnerable to the steady bombardment of news, facts, myths, research, newer research, and pseudo-research about the supposedly right ways to eat. But food should never be a source of stress and anxiety and the fear, suffering and stress caused by worrying about and trying to control your food intake is so much more dangerous than the food itself. The concept of healthy eating has so has gotten so dysfunctionally perverted that the concept has become a source of dread for most people, a chore that they must always be trying to force themselves to do. And this is currently how healthy eating is treated in our culture. It blows my mind, now that I'm on this side of it, it blows my mind that anybody could ever possibly think any of that is healthy, although I did myself for years too. But exactly none of it is healthy, especially given the state of nutrition science and the misinformation floating around. And there is a lot of misinformation about food and health written and shared by people who simply don't understand science or risk assessment. Since they can't interpret original research, they rarely read it. And most are just searching for headlines or sound bites to grab your attention and reinforce their own preconceptions. And then there are those who know that most people only follow headlines and books blindly, so they skew or twist information to suit whatever narrative they're trying to sell misconceptions and misinformation about food are a societal epidemic. For example, organic food is supposedly healthier, but is it really? Organic food regulations require organic fruits and vegetables to be fertilized with only animal manure, not synthetic fertilizers. For apples and peaches, this isn't a problem. They grow high up in trees, but strawberries grow on the ground directly over the manure. To sterilize the manure petroleum products have to be heated and that's virtually impossible. So farmers pile the manure high and let it ferment until it reaches temperatures that are high enough to pasteurize it. But what about the manure on the outside? What if it doesn't mix properly, if they don't get it mixed properly? Which would you rather feed your kids? Organic strawberries grown on top of a pile of shit that may or may not have been pasteurized properly? Are strawberries grown with fertilizers that have been tested and safely used for decades. Organic food has become big business because as we're all constantly told it's supposedly healthier but is it really? The truth is it's never black and white and when it comes to food the only truth is there's no real evidence to support that organic food is healthier than conventional grown food. And similarly don't even get me started on how clever marketers have taken advantage of the fact that our species is particularly vulnerable to falling for the appeal to nature fallacy. This refers to a human tendency to believe that anything that's natural is automatically good or healthier or somehow superior than something that's artificial or man-made. And This is a mistake in reasoning and it drives me back crap crazy probably because I fell for it myself for so many years too when you're deciding between two foods or even products, intuitively, you're likely automatically drawn to the one that says all natural on the label, right? Assuming that because it's all natural, it's automatically the healthier option. So-called processed foods get demonized all the time by using this faulty reasoning against them. But when you stop and think about it logically, it makes zero sense. Arsenic, for example, is completely natural. we both know that you would be a hell of a lot healthier living off Oreos than consuming arsenic even once. Oleander is a beautiful plant with striking flowers. And hey, it's a plant! We're supposed to eat more of those, right? They're all healthy. But every single part of the Oleander plant are deadly. If they're eaten, it can cause vomiting, diarrhea, seizures, coma, and death. And contact with the leaves and the sap is known to be a skin irritant to some people. In fact. The poisons in oleander are so strong that people have even gotten sick after eating honey made by bees that visited the flowers. So, all natural is supposedly healthier. But is that really true? No, not automatically, because again, nothing is ever that black and white. When it comes to nutrition science, there are major problems with it. So much so that I often refer to the science behind diet and tr- nutrition as a shitshow, and I stand by that statement. With good science, a team develops a question to ask or develops a hypothesis to test. They then devise experiments that may answer the question. They don't know how the experiments will um, turn out or if they'll answer the question, but they design them with proper controls. They collect the data and they let the chips fall where they may, they write up the results, following a set of specific rules, and they include all of the data they collected. The answer is not always clear, often it's inconclusive, and in some cases it's not at all what they expected. But regardless of the outcome, they then submit the paper to a respected journal and other scientists review it. This is called peer review. It's not available in every journal. Getting into the best is difficult because their standards are very strict. Sometimes a journal will ask for more data or more research before it will accept a paper for publication. Sometimes it will reject it. If it's accepted for publication, it will appear in the journal. Data and conclusions are then open for critique by the scientific community as a whole. And then last but not least, if the information is important, a similar experiment may be conducted by another lab. If all goes well, it's pretty certain to be accurate until proven otherwise. In physics and chemistry, for example, results of research are typically pretty definitive. Once proven, they are seldom disputed. Diet and nutrition science, however, could not be more different. Not only are results constantly being overturned, there are countless people right now simultaneously promoting completely competing ideas about what the science supposedly says. Right now, as we speak, vegans are out there claiming their way of eating is supposedly the healthiest way you should eat, according to science, while keto zealots are simultaneously claiming the exact same thing. But these camps have basically completely opposite rules and views. What bothers me the most is that we don't even question it. We read one book that says animal products are evil, And here's all the science that says so. We believe it. Huh, that sounds convincing. We decide we're going to go vegan until we can't stick to it. And then buy the next book that claims animal products are the key to health. Because the science says so. Again, we think, huh, this makes sense. (laughs) And so we believe that until we can't stick to it. And buy the next book. Be honest. How many times have you done this? How many books have you bought? start a new plan with completely different rules about what you're supposed to eat, all claiming the science says that their rules are the healthiest. Yeah, that's totally normal and healthy, right? For decades, starting in the 60s, we were constantly told to reduce fat intake, that it caused weight gain and cardiovascular disease. But more recently, they have completely reversed this rule, now stating, oh no, no, fats are healthy, and in fact, carbs are the enemy. So carbs have now become the enemy, replacing fats as the most feared food group. What about margarine? If you're from my generation or older, you probably remember when we were told butter was bad, margarine was good. Now we're told margarine's bad, butter's actually good. And the poor egg. For so much of our history, eggs have been a staple. And then in the late 70s, early 80s, we were told, nope, these are bad. More recent years, this advice was reversed. Oh, no, no, they're actually an excellent source of protein, antioxidants, and many vitamins and minerals. Then in 2019, we hear again, oh, no, no, wait, no, no, actually, they're bad again. I mean, come on. Salt was vilified for years. Then in 2015, a study was released that concluded it wasn't actually associated with the risks they said it was, and in fact, cutting out too much salt can be dangerous. In the seventies, we were told sodium nitrate could cause cancer in laboratory animals, but now we know that the research was flawed and we consume plenty of nitrates from spinach and other natural foods. In 2003, the world health organization stated that no association was found with oral, esophageal, gastric, or testicular cancer, but millions of people are still scared of hot dogs and bacon. In the same way, Millions of people believe grilling meat causes cancer because of the media using one research paper for fear-mongering, but they never share the follow-ups that said, you know, basically just don't burn your food and really you'll be fine. The examples like this are endless, and the problem is twofold. First, capitalism. Money talks and absolutely impacts the results of studies, but secondly, and more to the point, in their defense, it is really difficult to apply the scientific method to dietary and nutrition science because you can't put humans in a cage in a lab for their whole lives. You can't do lab tests on humans very easily. There are laws to protect research subjects from abuse or poisoning, so the tests often have to be done on animals whose biology may be different than ours. On top of that, Humans are complicated creatures and a number of factors beyond biology can impact results. Honestly, I can't believe they're still allowed to test on animals, but that's a complaint for another day. Scientists simply can't take a thousand or more people, divide them into two or three groups, feed them different diets or foods for their entire lives and measure how it impacts their health or mortality. And even if they could, how could they account for and rule out the dozens of other potential factors that also impact health or mortality? like genetics or childhood trauma or, you know, any number of other things. These restrictions limit nutrition and dietary science's ability to accurately determine very much, making it simply inadequate for the task of determining the most healthy foods for you to eat. That's one reason why you will never hear me refer to a particular food or even food groups as healthy or unhealthy anymore, because now I know that it's all BS. I also know the harm those labels do to your mental health, and the fact that the, the only way that you can tell whether or not a food is healthy for your unique body is by listening to to your body. But more on that in a bit. With nutrition science, it's mostly epidemiological studies or observational studies that prove the informa- or that provide the information you know about food and nutrition. It isn't a lab study where variables are isolated, perfect conditions are maintained controlled groups are studied, gather, uh, data is gathered and analyzed. No, no, no. <laughs> Usually, epidemiological studies use survey data and other data that can be observed to gather information. Researchers choose subjects, then ask a bunch of questions, enter the data into a computer, and search for correlations. Correlations. That's primarily how nutrition science makes conclusions about the rules that you've been wasting your entire life trying to follow. And I want to give you an example of how relying on correlations can lead to the wrong conclusions. So for example, Japanese eat very little fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. Mexicans eat uh, a lot of fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. Chinese drink very little red wine and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. Italians drink a lot of red wine and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. Germans drink a lot of beer and eat lots of sausages and fats and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. The conclusion? Americans are the only group that speak English, so speaking English causes more heart attacks. This is how most nutrition studies work, but and I cannot stress this highly enough correlation doesn't equal causation, meaning that just because two things have been linked doesn't mean that they can or have proven that one actually caused the other. As nutrition research critics Edward Archer and Carl Lavie have put it, nutrition is now a degenerating research paradigm in which scientifically illiterate methods, meaningless data, and consensus-driven censorship dominate the empirical landscape. Other nutrition research critics from Stanford University have been similarly scathing in their commentary. They point out that observational nutrition studies are essentially just surveys. Researchers ask a group of study participants, a cohort, what they eat and how often. And then they track this cohort over time to see what, if any, health conditions the study participants develop. There are so many glaringly obvious problems with this approach, not the least of which being that no one really remembers what they ate or when. And researchers often try to drill down to specific foods, which leads to super inaccurate results from these surveys. The errors compound themselves when scientists use those guesses about eating habits to calculate how much protein and vitamins a person consumed, and the errors just keep adding up, leading to seriously questionable results. Studies of one particular food or macronutrient are particularly important because it's impossible to sort out the effect of one particular food or one particular macro from all the other foods and macros. That contribute to an individual's typical dietary patterns. So please don't buy the notion about foods that are said to have newly revealed healthy or unhealthy properties. In other words, all of these so-called superfoods or even perfect diets, the evidence is just not there. And this is a huge reason reason why it's such a shit show of misinformation, constantly changing rules and why no one, Not even the supposed experts can agree on anything. Despite their claim to be experts in what is healthy and what's not, dieticians and nutritionists can't agree on what's healthy and what's not. Hundreds of members of the American Society for Nutrition, for example, were surveyed in a 2016 article in the New York Times. According to the pros, 53% of them said granola isn't healthy meaning the rest of them said it is. 39% say popcorn isn't healthy, meaning the rest say it is. And 41% say pork chops aren't healthy, meaning the rest say they are. Given how loudly and incessantly we are constantly preached at about what and how we should be eating and how we're allowed to eat or we're not allowed to eat whatever we want, this discord is infuriating. And then there's the fear-mongering that we're exposed to by the media and, frankly, charlatans who profit off of our tendency to fear anything seemingly unnatural. For example, there are hundreds of actual legitimate research products that have found GMOs perfectly safe and practically every test questioning them has been bogus. But in addition to the half-truths that the Internet tells, Our disconnection seems to stem from our fear of the unknown, suspicion of big business, and fear of illness and death. But it's essential to think critically. Think about where the information you're getting is coming from. Did you get it from a publication or a guru on a mission? Are all sides represented? Is it peer-reviewed journals? Are there references to scientific research and facts? Who were the authors? Were they scientists or physicians? Because physis- physicians are rarely scientists. Their skill sets and training are very, very different. I have never seen a single respected scientific journal with a peer-reviewed paper showing that GMOs cause more harm than non-GMOs. Sure, the day may come that someone discovers maybe someday that one GMO product in particular might be problematic, but does that automatically mean that all of them are? What about the potential good that they can do? With an exploding population, Breeding for disease resistance may well be the only way to feed the world. Yet millions are scared of GMOs. The source is so important, and here's how the media really fails us. Typically, reporters and newspapers, television, magazines, and radios, they don't have a strong background in science, and they're not able to read scientific research and then translate it into common sense terms. So they often misunderstand conclusions. Running with the you know whatever seemingly shocking... Fearmongering mongering headlines have been puffed up by the PR department at the university that's funded the study. And that fear-mongering, that's really the key that I want you to remember from now on. Watch for that. From now on, whenever you see literally any messaging around food, because once you begin to see it, you cannot unsee it, and it's everywhere. Because fear sells. Stoking your fear gets your attention, and that's what they want, your attention. So when so much of what we're told about diet, health, and even weight loss is inconsistent, contradictory, even flat out wrong, should you believe any of it? Frankly, in my view, no. As I've already mentioned, nutrition research is mostly based on observational studies. They are imprecise, have no controls, and don't follow an experimental method. Ignoring everything that you read about food might sound like an overreaction, but a growing number of scientists are now saying nutrition science is so flawed that we can't even trust the pillars of advice, like eating plenty of vegetables and avoiding saturated fat. Besides, haven't you already read all the books by now anyway? You know it's completely unrealistic to expect you will ever be able to stick to any of those rules long term, Which is the only real way your food choices have any measurable impact on the uh, formation of disease or potential early death long term. And given how many different factors influence our health beyond just what we eat, I'd go so far as to say that it doesn't even really matter what you choose to eat at lunch today, supper, or whatever. Our food choices only have a relatively small impact on our overall health long term. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that food choices don't matter at all. I'm not saying that in this particular case, I'm talking about long term, right? Whatever you have, whatever you choose to eat at lunch today is not going to have a measurable impact on your health long term. But it can have an impact on how you feel right now. If I choose to have something like cake and ice cream for breakfast this morning, my body would feel very different to live in for the rest of the day than how it feels from eating the, egg, the uh, eggs and English muffin that I actually had. And that's the point. While we're busy living in fear over eating the wrong thing and potentially becoming disease-ridden at some point in the future, our, um, the truth is that our long-term choices don't have a huge impact on our overall health. But the choices that we make right now certainly do impact how we feel right now and if we're busy trying to make ourselves eat what we think we should eat based on seriously flawed information we've gotten from other people just because we're scared of being unhealthy or gaining weight at some later date we are not able to be in this moment right now we are not able to hear the communication from our bodies about how they feel what they need, and how our food choices are acti- actually impacting them right now. Because we're putting more faith in what others have said we should eat. Seriously misplaced faith, I might add. The truth is, our bodies are the best experts on the planet when it comes to determi- determining what helps them feel their best in any given moment. When you've eaten something that doesn't support your body, you know it. Here's a perfect example from my own life recently. A few weeks ago, I made some chicken soup. It was nothing fancy or special. I used a leftover chicken carcass to make some homemade broth. I filled it with vegetables and some of the leftover chicken. It was delicious and full of things that most people would consider to be, quote, healthy. I mean, depending on whatever diet rules you're trying to follow at the time, but traditionally speaking, it was balanced and consisted of, quote, clean, whole food. To be clear, that wasn't my goal in making it. I just added things that I like. Anyway, within an hour of having the first bowl, I was running to, some, to the bathroom with some incredibly unpleasant and even so, kind of scary side effects. Initially, I didn't know what was causing it, um, you know, because it never even occurred to me that, that the soup would do that. I just, you know, I'm just having this, oh, this random scary thing's happening to me now. My body's not happy. A day or two later I had another bowl of the soup though and this time I was hungrier so I had a bigger bowl and again within one hour my body was pissed and this time since I had a bigger bowl I was even worse than the first time and I actually stayed sick through the entire next day. Like I mean I was sick. I was so sick. I was seriously considering a trip to urgent care and while I was sick the whole next day too I lived on bread for breakfast and lunch and then I had potato chips for supper. Ever since I can remember, plain potato chips have settled my stomach whenever it's upset, so that's what I had. And I started feeling better. If I had kept trying to make myself, quote, eat healthy the the traditional way, I never would have allowed the bread or potato chips that actually ended up helping me feel better, and instead I would have kept eating the supposedly, quote, healthy soup that was making me super sick. Does that mean I'm saying potato chips are healthier than chicken soup? No. But for me, in that moment, 100% yes they were. Did I continue to eat potato chips every other night for supper after that? Of course not, because once I felt better, I knew that they were no longer the best choice based on how I felt and what my body needed. And this is my point. Long term, if I kept eating chips every night, I would have felt like crap. But in that moment, based on how I felt, they were the healthiest choice. What makes a food healthy or not has nothing to do with what anyone else says about it and everything to do with whether or not in this moment right now, it's helping you feel better or worse based on how you feel and what you need. And the truth is, There is no black and white, good versus bad, healthy versus unhealthy answer to that question. The single healthiest food that you can eat at any given moment is whatever food you want based on how you feel and what you need. And only you know what that is. Continuing to follow the broken, outdated paradigm that we've been taught to follow, clicking the latest headline, putting more trust in gurus on your social media feed than your own body, buying the next diet or supposedly healthy eating book, or continuing to try to make yourself quote, be good with food by following whatever supposedly healthy rules you've learned over the years. That's not healthy. Eating whatever you want is. And I invite you to join me in returning to the truly healthiest way to eat. And I say invite you to return to it because it's what you were naturally born to do. If you weren't born into a fundamentally broken system that profits off of your fear and distrust in yourself, you would still naturally be doing that, right? That's all for today because this has already gotten kind of long and I try to keep these fairly short for you. But don't miss part two of this episode coming next time because in part two, I'm going to dive into this more by getting specific about what I mean and what I don't mean when I say eat whatever you want and how to start releasing the rules and practicing this in your own life so you can start nurturing your unique body's moment-to-moment needs so you can start feeling better in your body and about yourself. So join me back here next time for all of that and more. You've been listening to Being More with Ronnie Davis. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about embodied cognitive eating training and access free resources, visit www.ecet.online.